it's not really a, a one-off. I do occasionally uh, a sermon which answers a particular question along the lines of when people say, I can't believe in God, who, or a God this. And uh, a question I was asked a couple of weeks ago was the idea of an eternal God. And we say the words, God is eternal, and we say them as though we understand them and as though they were self-evident. And they are not, because the idea of eternity is really difficult and messes with your head. And we can't, we, we can't grasp it because we ourselves are locked in time. We, we you know, um, you can sing the song, I will sing of your love forever, but if you do, you will get incredibly bored um, because we don't. We, we, we are locked in time, and so it's difficult for us to conceive of anything outside of time. So we are going to, to look at that, and I want to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 32. The eternity and unchangeableness of God are, are tied together. And this is just the beginning of uh, Moses' song on page 211. Listen, O heavens, and I will speak. Hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. Let my teaching fall like rain, and my words descend like dew, like showers on new grass, like abundant rain on tender plants. I will proclaim the name of the Lord. O praise the greatness of our God. He is the rock. His works are perfect, and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. It's a a wonderful, wonderful um, song, the whole song. These verses are wonderful. They talk about the character of God, the importance of the name of the Lord. It's why we don't take his name in vain, because his name reveals who he is. His perfect works, his justice, his righteousness. He is the unchangeable rock. He is Yahweh. I am who I am. He is the eternal one. He is the one who always has been. And that is such an incredible concept. Now, in some of my dealings with some of the more militant atheists, they like to portray the Bible as being written by a bunch of illiterate desert nomads. Uh, Christopher Hitchens, for example, says, none of these provincials or their deity seems to have any idea of a world beyond the desert, the flocks and the herds, and the imperatives of nomadic substances. He is the eternal one. He is the faithful one. Moses and David and the prophets, of course, Jesus, the apostles, they were not ignorant and stupid people. And they were not confined to their own little world. Ironically, it's our modern world which is confined to its own world and thinks that it's better than any previous generation and thinks that God can be excluded because we don't understand and we don't need to understand. Whereas the likes of Moses, uh, it says in the Bible, he was the most humble of men because he saw who God was and this, this eternity of God. And that is very, very important. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time looking at all the philosophical arguments because it's quite simple, really. Uh, I don't think it's simple to grasp and fully comprehend, but I think the idea is simple. And it's a very important thing. The Roman Catholic theologian Keith Ward says this, once you see that God is eternal, you'll never again ask the question, who or what made God? You'll see the question doesn't make sense. 
It's like asking, who made a square circle? Well, that doesn't make sense. And the idea of who made God doesn't make sense once you understand that the God we are talking about, the God of the Bible, and actually the God of the Bible alone, is the eternal one. Now, unlike, I want to focus uh, on this from a, a point of view of Christ. We are people who are Christians who follow Christ. And unlike every other religion, Christianity makes a claim about its founder that's unique. We claim that Jesus is God, not just simply that he points us to God or gives us the map to get there. He is God. In theory, every religion in the world does not need its founder, except Christianity. My favorite um, saying about this was from Michael Ramsden of Ravi Zacharias Ministries. He's the European director. And he said this, if you take Christ out of Christian, you just have Ian, and Ian won't save you. So sorry to those of you who are Ian, but that's true. Um, And and so many people, what they do is they, they take... Christ, and then they take the term Christian and they turn Christian into a set of morality. And they turn Christian into a, a, a set of a, a philosophy. And they miss out Christ. I listened to a service this morning. I, I shouldn't have because I knew where it was coming from. I knew what it would be like. But it even exceeded the depths of my non-expectations. Uh, and the, the whole service was, there's nothing about God and Jesus really. It's all about us and, and, you know, just the philosophy and everything else. And that's no use. We need Christ. We don't say Christianity is great because it then gives the impression that Christianity is just a set of doctrines or morals or rituals. But we're saying that Christ is great because Christ is the God-man. He's the, the eternal one who became human. And that leads us into the area of the Trinity. And that is a a difficult understanding. I'll explain it just in this way, and then you can spend the rest of your week figuring it out. Um, The Christian teaching of the Trinity is that there's one God who exists in three persons. The three persons are distinct. They're different from each other, yet they are the same or one in substance, essence, and nature. The Father is God, the Son is God, the Spirit is God, but the Father is not the Son or the Spirit. The Son is not the Father or the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Father or the Son. Three persons in one God. Now, if you were in church here for the first time ever and you'd never heard anything like that, you'd you'd say, I I, I can't get that. Well, let me tell you, there are people who've been here for 60 years who go, I can't get that. Uh, Augustine described it wonderfully in this way. We, We speak, he said, in order not to be silent just purely and simply not saying that we fully understand but the the trinity is a mystery and yet it does make sense in so many ways think of it this way our salvation is trinitarian the father the son and the spirit work together to bring about the salvation and the, the redemption of humanity god is love because of the trinity if god was not a trinity who did god love before he made anything how could he be love And the love aspect of that is hugely significant. Let me explain it perhaps in this way, in terms of Christ. Louise, can you move it on for me, please? I think I'm having a problem. In the past, Hebrews 1, 1 to 3. We are going to jump around the Bible, but just hold with it. And that's why I'm putting the verses up. God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. 
But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Well, it is hugely important who Christ is. I mentioned this morning I had the Jehovah's Witnesses at my door. They like to witness to Jehovah, but Jesus is not God. He's not the Son of God in that he is being God. And, and we therefore do not worship the same God. In fact, their faith ends up being in a system. When I'm asked to go, and I, I will do it, I've done it, to go and speak at a mosque, uh, I'm quite happy to do that. I'm quite happy to talk about who Jesus is. I'm quite happy to discuss and to debate and to share. I will not join in worship. And actually, a, a Muslim, a proper Muslim, wouldn't want me to because we believe in different gods. They know that. They think it's blasphemy to say that Jesus is God. But he is. That's the most phenomenal and the most wonderful thing. We'll go on to um, John chapter 1. Just uh, It always amuses me that people like... People today who think they're being really smart and saying the Bible was written by a bunch of ignorant desert shepherds. And then you say, well, could ignorant desert shepherds write this? Uh, John chapter 1. Let's see if I can move that on myself now. Yep. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness but the darkness has not understood it. That was written by a fisherman. I hope you're not prejudiced against fishermen. Why can't fishermen be intelligent? Many are. And this is, I think this, but the, even so, I think this is just utterly extraordinary. Probably John Lennox, as John Lennox says, John chapter one is the most profound chapter ever written in any language at any time. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. And this is John who is a Jew, a monotheist, a believer in the one God, whom to even mention the name of God would have been considered sacrilegious. You had to put substitutes. And here he is saying that this God has a son, Father, Son, and Spirit. And he's saying this son was with God in, in the beginning. And he later goes on to say that we touched him, we saw him, we heard him. We testify to what we have seen and heard. Now, what's great about that? John doesn't begin his gospel with saying a baby was born in a stable in Bethlehem. Our, our, our world can cope with that. But it says that before Jesus was born, he existed. And that he did not come into existence when he was born. Jesus was in the beginning. He was not created. He is the creator. The term word here, the logos in Greek, refers to him. And it's saying without him nothing was made that has been made. Without Jesus, nothing was made that has been made. You're here, you're not a Christian. I'm sorry, but you couldn't have been here without Jesus. Nothing was made that has been made. At this point, some people will again object and just ask the argument, who created the creator? 
Again, Hitchens, this the postulate, thus the postulate of a designer or creator only raises the unanswerable question of who designed the designer or who created the creator. Religion and theology and theodicy have consistently failed to overcome this objection. But, and again, that was the question I asked, who made God? And I've met many people who just can't get past that. They say, well, somebody must have made him. Well, why? This one simple fisherman, John, has given us a categoric answer. God is not made. He is the one who created everything. And God as Father, Son, and Spirit. There are things that have been made. Who made them? Um, if you're in a car with kids sometimes, and young kids, and sometimes not so young ones, um, it's not just that you play the game when you're on a journey of, uh, are we nearly there yet? Usually said, just as you've got out of Dundee, but um, sometimes you will have children who want to ask questions. So, who made that? Who made them? Who made that? Who made that? And you just keep going and keep going. And, and it's like, in a, as a child, everything has to have a cause. Everything has to have a beginning. So, someone has to have made. But if you think about it, you're going to keep going with causes, aren't you, all the way. So in, in Hindu teaching, in the, in the legends in Hindu, there was a legend that the earth was carried on the back of four giant turtles. This is my favorite legend of all time, actually. And these four giant turtles, you say to them, well, wh where were the four giant turtles? What were they standing on? Oh, four more turtles. And what was beneath them? Four more turtles. Yeah, but what about them? Four more. You mean it's turtles all the way down? Yeah, well, it's turtles forever. I'm sorry, I don't believe in a world that's held up by turtles going on forever. How does, how does that make any sense? But so many people in our culture have the same view. Up until the 1940s and 1950s, most scientists, or at least atheistic scientists, and there were many who were not, of course. In fact, uh, the majority weren't at that point. But most atheistic scientists absolutely believed that the universe had no beginning. The writer Bertrand Russell, the philosopher, argued in his book about why he wasn't a Christian that the universe had no beginning. It was just always there. And then a man called Arnold Penzias discovered what we call the Big Bang. And so many scientists were really reluctant to accept it. Not because of the science. The science became pretty well irrefutable. But because it meant there was a beginning. And it meant that the Bible was right. When the Bible said, in the beginning, there was a beginning. And they were, they, they were desperate to say, matter is eternal. Because if there's a beginning, who began it? How did it begin? And, and that is what the Bible says. And what, we, what you are left with is a choice of simply this. You can either have matter that's eternal, or you can have what the late, great Stephen Hawking said, everything coming out of nothing, by nothing at no time. Which, if you think the, the Trinity is difficult, that's like beyond. If you think that's nuts, that's actually a very astute observation of the late, great Stephen Hawking's view of everything coming out of nothing. But rather than believe in God, people will believe in, in, in that. You're really left with a choice of matter being eternal, or you're left with a choice of there being an eternal God. And John Lennox again puts it wonderfully, wonderfully well when he says, you can decide, you can have faith that your mind came out of unthinking matter, 
or you can think that your mind came out of a greater eternal mind. One way or the other, it's an eternal mind, eternal spirit, or eternal matter. And to me, it's clear what the Bible teaches is absolutely true. Okay, that's enough of the heavy stuff. Um, Jesus, where he comes in is this. He has no beginning. There was a beginning, but he wasn't begun in the beginning. Sorry, I said that. That's the only way I can explain it. He was there. In the beginning was the word. He was there. He was. He is. And he will be. He is eternal. Maybe another passage that helps you in this way. Um, Again, from one of these ignoramuses who wrote the Bible, Paul. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. By the way, firstborn doesn't mean he was born in, in the way that uh, the Hebrew language is used. Firstborn and the idea carried as being preeminent, the one who's over all. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. I was once at a stunning lecture at the University uh, of Dundee in which the professor professor spoke about how 4% of the universe was matter, 25% was antimatter, and the rest was something that he called dark matter. And I questioned him at the end and asked him, I said, you know, it was an amazing lecture, it was a great lecture. And I said to him, what's dark matter? He said, we haven't a clue. He says, there's something that holds the universe together and we don't know what it is. And I I quoted to him this verse. I said, do you think this might? He said, that's as good an explanation as any. I said, are you a Christian? He said, no. I said, well, you should be, but uh, if you you know that much. Paul claims it's Christ. When he went and spoke to the Greeks in Athens, what he did was he quoted the pagan poet Epimedes, who said this in one of his poems, in him we live and move and have our being. So it's not just that God is eternal, But the eternal God created everything and created us. It's not like we're there and material is there and then there's an eternal God out of it. It's that this eternal God created all of us and all of it. Now where we're going with this is very simple. It is the central claim of Christianity that Jesus is the eternal God who created everything in whom We live and move and have our being in whom everything is sustained. Those people who say, I like Jesus, he's a good man, taught some good things. I don't believe in the eternal Jesus. You don't believe in Jesus. A Jesus who said the things he said and he wasn't the eternal God would be a wicked charlatan. But he wasn't. Let me give you a couple of quotes, not from the Bible, but from very early on in the church's history. I love these guys, the early church fathers, especially um, the early ones. Uh, anti, by the way, in anti-Nicene fathers doesn't mean against. It means before. <laughs> um, for our God, Jesus Christ, now that he is with the Father, is all the more revealed in his glory. Christianity is not a thing of silence only, but of manifold greatness. And then um, the dialogue with Trifle. For Christ is king and priest and God and Lord and angel and man and captain and stone and a son born and first made subject to suffering, then returning to heaven and again coming with glory and he is preached as having the everlasting kingdom. So I prove from 
all the scriptures. See, the idea of Jesus being God wasn't something that came much, much later on in the church. It was, it was what made the church. It was what caused these early Jewish believers to turn away from the, the law of Moses and to follow the person of Jesus. Let me just add um, something else to that because I think in terms of our worship, it's hugely important. I think the resurrection proves that Jesus is the Son of God. I think that helps us in our understanding of the Trinity. There are lots of questions we could have. What was Jesus doing before he was born? Why is there no indication of this Trinity in the Old Testament? I think there is. Augustine pointed out that it is uh, the teaching of the New Testament is latent, not patent, in the Old Testament. There are hints like the term Elohim for God, which is plural, or the use of the word us when... Uh, in Genesis, God says, let us, create, let us create God in our own image. There are things, what we call uh, theophanies, appearances of God, possibly very often, I think, appearances of Christ before he came as a human being. Um, the angel of the Lord is sometimes seen as a kind of pre-incarnation appearance of Christ. But for me, the most significant thing is this, that the Christ who hung on the cross Sorry, from Philippians. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God. He wasn't pretending to be God. He really was God. Did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. He really became human. The real God became human, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. For the Jews who could hardly bear to mention the name of God, the notion of God appearing in human form and dying the cursed death of the cross was the ultimate blasphemy. But it's true. It's true that the eternal God in the form of his son came and died for us. The glorious second person of the Trinity, sent by the Father, enabled by the Spirit, to live as a human being, to show us the love of God through his teaching and miracles, to die in our place so that our sins could be forgiven and raised from the dead before ascending into heaven. There's a sense in which Jesus on earth is a bit like the TV program, The Secret Millionaire, in which a very wealthy person goes to live and work amongst the poor, and only when they have gone and sent on the subsequent check, there's a guy in Dundee I know very well, Ewan Gurr, he had that experience, amazing, um, do they realize who they had with them? Jesus came and lived amongst us. We did not recognize him. We did not know who he was. We mocked him and we crucified him. He was despised and rejected of men. He made himself nothing that we might become something. Athanasius of Alexandria said this, he became what we are, that we might become what he is. Long before Twitter, the church fathers were doing sound bites. I think that's a great sound bite. He became what we are, that we might become what he is. And I do love this as well. He that hung upon the earth in space was himself hanged up. He that fixed the heavens was fixed with nails. He that bore up the earth was born upon a tree. The Lord of all was subjected to ignominy in a naked body. God put to death the king of Israel, slain with Israel's right hand. The one 
who hung up the earth in space was himself hanged up. And I love the fact that that's written within a hundred years of the New Testament being written. That's who our God is. That's who our Jesus is. We, we sang this morning, behold our God seated on the throne. Maybe one final question. Um, if Jesus was raised from the dead, where is he now? Acts chapter 1 tells us that he was raised up to heaven. Did he remain human? Yes, he did. As the 19th century Scottish theologian John Rabbi Duncan put it, the dust of the earth is on the throne of the majesty on high. Why didn't Jesus stay? Would it not have been easier for people to believe if he was still around on earth? No, because he still had a human body and therefore would have been limited. But instead he sends his Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost who then now takes all the glorious truths about Christ and applies them to people. The Holy Spirit, according to Calvin, is the bond by which Christ effectually unites him, us to himself. It's the Trinity, God the Father sending the Son, sending the Spirit to work together for our good. Jesus is great because he is the eternal God. And if you want to take that away from Jesus, you know what you're doing? You are taking something very, very precious away from yourself because you're ending up with a Jesus who's changeable. And that's what's happened in the church. The church changes its doctrine to suit the culture. No, no, we don't do that. We follow Jesus. We worship Jesus. There are always things to be revealed. We worship God as Father and Son and Holy Spirit. We say sometimes, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. I believe absolutely, we sang again this morning the the Hillsong version of the Creed. I believe in God the Father. I believe in God the Son. When we sing things like that, when we say things like that, We need to try and grasp what we are actually saying. Because what was the point of Deuteronomy 32? Deuteronomy 32 was Moses not just recounting what God has done, but saying to God's people, this is who your God is, this is what he's like, this is how he's acted, but this is who he is. He is faithful, he does no wrong, he is eternal, he is Yahweh, and we proclaim the name of the Lord and we praise the greatness of our God. And you could be in the temple or wherever all of your days or for all eternity and you still would not be able to ascribe the greatness that is due to our God. I don't want, I have, you know, the the more we're going on in our culture and I don't want to be pessimistic and sometimes people write or or talk to me and say, David, you know, I hate listening to what you're saying because it makes me so depressed. And I said, well, what's wrong? And they said, no, it's true. I said, aren't you interested in truth? No, not really. You know, but this is the truth. The truth is that we're in a mess, but God is far greater than our mess. The fact that I am mortal enables me or encourages me to trust in a God who's immortal. The fact that I change or that you change encourages me to trust in an unchangeable God. The fact that Jesus is not the invention of the church or the latest philosophers and the latest theologians, but he is the real Jesus, encourages me to trust him absolutely. Yesterday, today, and forever, Jesus is the same. All may change, but Jesus never. Glory to his name, not to ours. 
Church will never die because it's the church of Jesus Christ and the words of Jesus will never go. How pathetic in the church that we say things like, well, we need to bring the word of God up to date. No, we don't. We need to bring the date up to the word of God if you, if you want to put it that way. And I love this in Deuteronomy 32 that God's people are encouraged to focus on God, not just on what he's done, but who he is. To proclaim his name and just to simply say this, our God does no wrong, he's upright and just, and he never changes. You take a risk when you get married to someone. Uh, Nobody can stand and say, do you know this, I will always be the same for you, I will always do this. No, you won't. We chop and change all the time. It's one of the great difficulties in any long-term relationship is the fact that people change. And we, we have to accommodate that and deal with that. It's what makes our relationship so difficult. But the one thing that we need to grasp that is so essential is that God doesn't change and Jesus doesn't change and he's the same. He is the eternal one. He is the unchangeable one. You can't say one minute, well, Jesus loved me, and, but now he's changed his mind. Or Jesus died to save me, but now he's decided I'm too bad. Or Jesus didn't know. That's not the Jesus we worship. That's not the Jesus we follow. Philosophically, logically, I think scientifically, it makes absolute sense to believe in an eternal creator. One of our brothers in the church here, I remember the first time I met him as a non-Christian, I wanted to talk, I thought we were going to talk because of his scientific background about creation and so on. And pretty well the first thing he said to me was, no, as a scientist I don't have any problem with the creator. Problem was, who's Jesus? And that to me is always it. Grasp who Jesus is, understand Jesus, know that he will never change and you can absolutely trust him whatever you're feeling. You can't trust your feelings, you can't trust the church, you can't trust the community, you can't trust the culture. You can't trust your favorite speaker. Not absolutely. But you can always absolutely trust Jesus. The Jesus of the Bible. The Jesus who has revealed himself through his word. He is a faithful God who does no wrong. He is upright and just. Oh, praise the greatness of our God. Amen. Let's sing um, these words in the song that we have that uh, we've, we've sung a few times. We'll just, it's a short song. We'll sing it through twice. It's of the, the, these words. Ascribe greatness to our God the rock. His work is perfect and all his ways are just. A God of faithfulness and without injustice good and upright is he. We'll sing the song through twice and then we'll remain standing for the closing prayer and benediction. Let's praise his name.